Thank you, Kurt. <coughs> I am, uh, my name is Brandon Hughes. I'm the youth director here at Trinity. Um, this whole month of July, we've been covering the theme of living out our faith in preparation for Christ's future return. You know, by delighting God in our bodies, our relationships, and our work, we make ourselves ready for that future kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. We all know how unsettling the future can be. And we all face uncertainty, and we all face loss, and we all know someone who's suffering. But we also know that we have a great hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And by faith, we are made confident in this hope, and through, God, and through God's word, we are taught how to wait for him. And this is what Paul is reminding the Thessalonian church in this passage, that God's word has already taught us what to do. The audience Paul is writing to has continually been subjected to false teaching. They've been told that the day of the Lord has already come, which has caused many to stop working. Uh, the community is already poor, but since, since there are more and more giving the teaching that Christ is coming soon, many of them have stopped working. They've given up. They figured, well, Christ is going to come in a few days anyway. Why bother? In the Greco-Roman culture, physical labor was looked down upon. So, unlike Jewish communities, Thessalonica was having a lot of really hard time finding people who would labor. And those who weren't Christians were trying to do as little as possible because of the social status, while those who were Christians were giving up on work because they thought Christ was going to come any day now. Earlier in the letter, Paul reminds the church of those things which must occur before Christ comes to help safeguard against the false teaching. And he reminds them of God's faithfulness in protecting the church from evil powers and affirms all the hard work they have done in growing the kingdom. As the word has grown in regard to the church of Thessalonica, Paul wishes such growth on his own journey and growth in his own faith would go with him as he goes along on his way. So he asks the Thessalonians for their prayer. The Trinity is blessed to have all the things we do. We have fantastic leaders and Kurt, Emery, and Jim who constantly need our prayer. We need to pray for our church and for our leaders. You know, we are a praying church in Matthew 7 24, church, building our house upon the rock that is prayer. When we pray for our leaders and for our church, we believe that God is going to show up and do something in our midst. That is why we pray the great prayer every Sunday. But we also need to pray for those who are doing other things in the church, for those who help with the Emmaus walk, for David who brings this beautiful music every week, uh, for the custodians who keep our facilities in working order and clean. Uh, without everyone doing their job, even the little ones that we often forget about, the task of the leaders becomes increasingly more difficult. Without all these things working together, the body of Christ is not. So we also need to keep those who are in leadership positions in prayer. And by continuing to pray for our breakthrough teams, we can keep those who have a heart for certain areas of ministry in our prayers as well. Uh, the next part of the passage for the big chunk is the bulk of what Paul's trying to say. Uh, and it starts with, don't just be a consumer. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Thessalonians were in a period where they sort of gave up. They you were know, thinking, well, the world's going to end soon any day. You know, it's going to be soon anyway, so why bother? You know, why even bother? 
I think we all kind of get that, that spirit a little bit sometimes. You know, well, in that case, why do you bother? You know, people are saying, sure, he's dying, why do you bother? But Paul's reminding us that's not the spirit we need to have at all. You know, some people think, why do you bother making bed in the morning? Why do you bother exercising? Why do you bother eating healthy? Why do you bother praying? Why do you bother reading scripture? And in the case of the Church of Thessalonica, they were saying that about work. Why even bother working? So Paul reminds them of the tradition they inherited from the Jewish brothers, the tradition of hard work, of frugal spending, and prudent investment. And the word idle is really interesting in this passage because it's so closely related with the word busybodies that he Paul uses. And these people weren't just, you know, lazing around, waiting for the Lord to show up, you know, waiting for Jesus to join the party. But uh, more historically, idlers were seen as people who went throughout the city begging for things. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't run the road keep. They would go around begging for food, begging for money. <laughs> and today in America, we have that kind of thing going on too. And it's actually, in our side, it can be very, very lucrative. There's been several instances of people going around begging, and they make six figures a year just begging for money. And they drive awesome cars and have really nice houses. So when these ancient beggars would convert to Christianity, they would often take that lifestyle with them into the church. So they rely on the wealthier Christians, the wealthier believers. They rely on their benevolence to sustain the church and sustain themselves. So in the Church of Thessalonica, there were two groups of people who weren't doing the work that they should. There was a group of people who thought, well, the Lord's coming any day now, so why bother working? And then there was a group who, you know, they were beggars their whole lives. And they were probably both playing off each other pretty significantly too, because the people that were coming to the church as beggars were like, well, we're seeing all these, you know, Christians who've been here for a while, they stopped working. So why bother? And then the ones who believed the false teaching were saying, well, look at all these people coming from the streets, they aren't working. So why bother? Paul reminds them of the visit that he and his fellow missionaries paid them at some point recently. Time of letter writing. And when they were visiting, though they were guests, and though they had every right to ask for a place to stay and ask for food, yeah, they, they worked for their housing. They worked for their food. And they could have just went by, saw all the work that he'd done in the city of Thessalonica, and said, Well, there's, some, there's, there's people here that can do it. They can do it. And that's really the mission behind this call. And I, we still have that tradition today. When we go to do missions, we do work that they could do, but they just are. So, who among us today are not busy at work, but busy bodies? You know, we're, we're keeping ourselves busy with things that aren't valuable, aren't fruitful, aren't helpful. I think it's really hard in our society to find anyone who isn't in some way, you know, sometimes. And we all have a God-given talent and the opportunity to use that talent. But the Church in America is a lot like the ancient city of Thessalonica. We have all these talented people who are able to do work, but they just are. They're relying on others. They're saying, why bother? Someone else will do it. They're relying on others' labor to stay in the community. And they are even tithing, despite the powerful blessings of finance that they received. Don't put unnecessary strain on the church or on the community. 
Tithing is a part of the tradition Paul is talking about when he's talking to the Thessalonian church. And it's probably the biggest part of the message that is applicable for today. And it's not just part of the tradition that's passed down, but it's something that reminds us of who we work for. Now we're talking about our bosses or you know the community that we spend, where uh, we spend and receive, and you know we work in place of. It's not just that that we're working for, but we are gods. We were created by Him. We were given every blessing that we have by Him. We were given the opportunity and the ability to work by Him, and it's all His. But in His awesome grace, He allows us to keep up to ninety percent of what's His. There are many in the church today who completely disregard this teaching. Like the church in Thessalonica, they believe false teaching. That this is just part of the old law. Tithing is just an old thing. It's archaic. But has the Old Testament really just expired? Is it really just completely irrelevant to us today? I don't think so. And some say it's, it's simply too harsh to demand 10% from people today. That's insensitive to certain people in certain times, in certain situations. Uh, what's funny, though, is all those people who spout this teaching have no problem with the government automatically taking 20% out of the check every week. They think it should be more. But 10% is too much for God. You know, God asks us to do this. It's not just for the benefit of the church. It's not just for the benefit of the community, but it's also for the benefit of ourselves. Constantly reminds us that we are His, and that we work for Him, and we glorify Him in all that we do. And it's not like we're going to get to heaven one day and be met with a tithe statement, comparing how much we made in our life with how much we do. That wouldn't be unreasonable. That's not, that's not what we believe when we say we believe in tithe. But God invites us to contribute to his kingdom. You know, no one from the church is going to come knocking on your door saying, um, here's some court papers, we realize you didn't get your 10% this year. You know, no one's going to do that. That's not what we're saying when we say we're being tithing. And the biggest problem with this kind of thinking, that tithes are somehow archaic, is that completely this is the promise which comes along with every one of God's commandments. God commands us to tithe because we have a promise for future for us. He promises that if we store for ourselves treasures in heaven, there our heart will be also. Storing our treasures on earth is no good because what isn't stolen and what isn't broken will eventually be taken away by time. In 1787, John Wesley published a sermon on the use of money. Uh, basically outlined three principles for managing money biblically. And he wrote to a period of England in this time where the Industrial Revolution was kind of in full swing and people were moving in masses to the cities. You know, they heard about this great, awesome job in this new factory and they made all this money. So they left their farms and came to the cities only to realize that that dream job they'd been hearing about was filled by some other bloke who got there first. So there was all this random unemployment, people didn't know what to do. And it's to this audience that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wrote first to gain all you can. But not in an absolute way. You know, you should gain all you can without putting your health or your life at risk. 
Now obviously there's some occupations like policemen, firemen, military, that that's a little hard to do. You know, that is an inherent part of the job is being your life and rescue for others. But here I just keep a moderation in that. Because one's physical health is important to glorifying God. Another part is mental health. You know, it's, it's putting too many time constraints or too much stress on yourself will ultimately lead to bad physical health as well. So keeping your own, gain all you can, but not at the expense of health or life, or at the expense of someone else's health or life. And the second principle after you gain all you can is save all you can. Now after gaining all you can by honest work, avoid wasting the fruits of your labor on things which are not necessary, you do not bring a lot of fulfillment to you or to God. You know, wasting money on things which are only a desire of the flesh or a desire for pride or a desire for status is simply that. It's just wasting money. There's, a, there's actually a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism, a documentary on the important things. And it kind of tells the idea of living on bare essentials. Documenting several people's lives following the principles outlined by authors Josh Milburn and Ryan Davis. And basically the, the main principle is do Get rid of anything you don't use regularly. Try to minimize your space, the, the number of things you have, because ultimately that will free you up a lot of time and a lot of energy. If you're not worried about paying your cable bill, your cell phone bill, your car bill, the brand new car you just got, you'll, you'll be a lot less stressful. You'll have a lot less stressful time, you'll just have a lot more freedom. And the third principle, which naturally follows from Getting all you can, saving all you can, is giving all you can. If we stop at step two, or save all we can, you know, where we are at a point of good financial security, it's often tempting to stop there because it feels good. You know, we don't want, we don't want to stress. We have stuff saved for the future. But John Wesley reminds us that we aren't to store treasures on earth, but to store treasures in heaven. So, to give all you can is the third step. Wesley instructs us to use what we have saved because if we don't use it, it will go waste. You know, eventually, we won't have it anymore. Either it will be stolen, it will diminish, or time will take it. So, you know, by following the three step model of giving first to other believers into the church. And if we have any more to give, John Wesley instructs to you know, give to others in the community. And by following this three-step model, we'll find that tithing is an easy expenditure to find funds for. And what better or more prudent investment is there than to store for ourselves treasure in heaven? And Jesus has promised to prepare a room for the faithful in his Father's house. What better return on investment can you get? I know I've made some bad investments in my life. And one in the past few years that's kind of been glaring to me lately is that uh, you know me very well. I, in 2014, I invested in what is an Elio. An Elio is a three wheel, three cylinder car that was supposed to come out in 2015. And if you put $1,000 down, you get $1,500 off the price when it came out. Now, the, the car was supposed to get 84 miles per gallon, and like I said, it came out in 2015. But, it never happened. So me and a couple of friends, we put $1,000 down thinking, oh, okay, we'll get a $500 return on that investment in one year. That's great. But the next year, they pushed it back to 2016. 
and then 2016 they pushed it back to 2017. And now it's not going to come back until 2019, and with the gas prices going down so low, back in 2014 they were like four dollars a gallon. The gas was like four dollars a gallon, so that's like a huge difference from what it is now. So there's just not that demand anymore for a tiny little car like that. And they've actually also raised the price because the road was supposed to be like seven thousand dollars, now it's seventy-five hundred dollars. So there is my five hundred dollar investment right there. It's completely gone. You know, I can kiss that money goodbye. That was a bad investment. You know, but someone once told me that whatever God takes, you will give it back in abundance. So I ask again, what better investment is there than investing in God's kingdom? And what's most interesting about this three-step method of Wesley's to gain all you can, save all you can, deal all you can, is that you take it from the reverse side. It kind of serves as a prescriptive tool. You know, are you giving all you can? Are you tithing? Well, if you can't bear to park with 10% of your income, I can bet you either aren't working all you can or you aren't saving all you can. But instead, our idol are wasteful in some man. That's just food for thought. Alright, that's a little harsh. I'll get back to that in a minute, but first let's go ahead and go back to the text. And returning to the text, Paul encourages those who are doing good, despite those around them being idle and taking advantage of their generosity. He reminds us not to grow weary in doing good, as is often the case. You know, we all need rest, we all need a Sabbath, and we all need a vacation every now and then. When Paul tells us to stay away from the idol, he doesn't mean to begin to ban them from our present stuff. You know, it's not quite as harsh as that. That's why he's using the love them and stay away from them kind of in contrast. The same with using the idleness and busybodies. He's trying to create a certain specific type of staying away from them. So he, he tells us to take note that they are taking advantage and correct their actions, but lovingly correct their actions. Be an example for them. Be an example of someone who works hard and earns their money and contributes to the church and loves their brothers and sisters. You know, if, if you know of a job that's opened up and you know someone who isn't working, you know, invite them to apply for the job, work alongside them. If, if the church is doing something, doing some kind of ministry, invite them along so they can help you along with that too. But do not regard them as an enemy. Warn them as a fellow brother or sister. Warn them of what they are missing. You know, if they have to faithfully wait in holiness, they're putting one of the one of the following things at risk. They're either putting their physical health at risk, their mental health at risk, or their financial health at risk. But most importantly, they could be putting their spiritual health at risk. When they are putting God first, they are properly ordering their faith so that God is before them. God's the focus. Now, I know there are a lot of believers, or a lot of us, who actually can't do 10%. There are a lot of Christians who can. And it is for those people that we should show the most love and compassion for. You know, if we can, if we're blessed with the ability to give 10%, then we should, and we should encourage and help them as much as possible. You know, it doesn't always mean just giving them money. You know, sometimes it means they have a refrigerator that broke down. And you know, they need a refrigerator, and you have to have an extra one in your garage you can give them. Something like that. Or maybe you know how to fix whatever's wrong with the refrigerator. So maybe you can do that. Or maybe they just need a full tank of gas to get through. They need a tank of gas. You know, it's, it's not, it's just these little things every now and then that can really help someone out financially. Maybe they need 
10% to fix something for some building to pay. You know, helping them in any way and encouraging them to keep tithing is a huge part of helping them spiritually. And I'm, I'm actually in a small group that uh, at one point previously we all share a story. We we're all able to share a story where God blessed us financially when we tithe faithfully when it's hardest. Not heard many stories all the time about when tithing is really hard and it really stretches your finances that God shows up. I've heard of people getting a financial gift from someone, getting a gift of something they needed to buy from someone, getting a scholarship they didn't think they met the qualifications for, or getting a bonus they didn't see coming. You know, there, there's a lot of ways that God can bless us financially when we faithfully give. And so not only does God reward us with treasures in heaven, but he also washed it out for us while we're still alive on earth too. So it's not like we only get a return in heaven on investment, but it's almost like we get dividends on the way home as well. You know, he always provides for us. He's our provider. So be an example for those who are on <coughs> Pray. Most importantly, pray. Pray both for our church, for our leaders, that they may walk in the path God lays before them. And don't just be a consumer. Think straight on the church and on the community. But instead, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Persist. Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And be an example for those who are on. Let's pray for our church now. God, we thank you so much for the things you have given Trinity. We thank you so much for the, the building you've allowed us to be in. We thank you so much for the people who are here. We ask you to please grow our faith so we may faithfully give and love each other. Give to each other. Give to you, love you, love each other, and just embrace the change that you have for Trinity. And as we pray in this coming, this coming month, I ask you please just bless us every step of the way. And as we store up our treasures in heaven, please allow us to see the things in the future a little bit at a time. So we may not lose hope in your great and awesome plan for us, God. Amen.